We were children of the Silicon Revolution, an X-generation conscripted to fight the console and home computer wars. A product of an analog 70s childhood, we came of digital age in the 80s, believing we could affect the world eight bits at a time. Armed with joysticks, full-stroke keyboards, jolt cola, and MTV haircuts, we proceeded into the vertical blank. There, we stayed up late at night, devising incantations from D&D rulebooks and beginner all-purpose symbolic instruction code. Video games were the match and programming was the fuse as the infinite possibilities of the digital world exploded into the internet age to come. We are Generation Atari. Hey, Steve. How's it going? You know, um, we're in a double lockdown right now. We've, we've got our coronavirus lockdown, and now we're on a um, curfew. curfew because of rioting. So yeah, they, today it turns out, um, yesterday they kind of let people just steal stuff for four hours on some streets near 3rd Street without any police showing up. In Santa so Monica. They decided to do it in Santa Monica, so they decided to do it again. It's a fun, good times. Good, good times. So... So it kind of like I looked at the stats, and I'm going to tell you that not too many people listen to podcasts during a double curfew and quarantine. No one is getting in their cars and listening to podcasts. That's that's the truth. So, but anyway, it doesn't matter because we have Atari news to do today. We have a whole s load of all sorts of Atari news. So why don't you start it off with our first news item? So first news item, Steve, FujiNet. What Fuji is FujiNet? FujiNet is a network adapter that attaches to your SIO port on any 8-bit computer. And um, it allows you to use Wi-Fi. And, and right now, a lot of people are using it Wi-Fi as to load disk images over Wi-Fi. But you can also use it to connect up to other um, computers and to the Internet. It's amazing. It's amazing. So Thomas Cherry Holmes, this is his baby, right? Thomas, and he wants to have an interview. So Let's I plan to interview it. him this week. I have not got back to him yet. I'm trying to find a time. My work schedule this week's a little strange. So I bet. But what about this? You know, we know we know um, Atari Soft is just as much a part of Atari as any other part of Atari. Even right. though Atari Soft was a company started, I think, in '82. Um, when Atari got started licensing, you know, I guess when they licensed Pac-Man, to be honest, and they had the ability to make that for for, get, for video game consoles and PCs, Atari Soft was started as an internal company at Atari to make licensed games for other platforms. They didn't really make many Atari games, though. Atari Atari titles, they made things that Atari licensed for other platforms. And it looks like 
a version of Joust was just discovered for the Commodore 64. I guess this was rumored for a long time. Um, well, that would have been a an, that would have been a good one to release. They, I mean, could have made some money off that guy if they had. Well, you know, this apparently this is programmed by Joe Hellison and Atari, found by Dutchman two thousand on Atari Age. I think that the whole concept of Atari Soft needs to be talked about in in an episode and others of Atari's biggest mistakes because Atari Soft not living on past when Atari was sold was idiotic and stupid. It, 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 it makes zero sense. I um, have a feeling that there's a an antic um, interview with the guy that ran Atari Soft. We should listen to that again and see. I just, the whole concept of it not existing. We can use that as the basis for something. I mean, Atari could have been making Nintendo games. I guess Tengen ended up doing that. But my, my point is, is that this could have kept going. I, just so many dumb things that they did, and that was one of them. So, uh, but it's cool that people are finding new titles for Atari Soft. So that's that's really 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 interesting. I I can't wait to read more about it. So, uh, hey, uh, I got in the mail something pretty cool, actual physical mail. That's mm-hmm. the. Um, the bitmap books, Atari 2600, 7800, Visual Compendium. Oh, I have one of those too now. Absolutely gorgeous book. Incredible. It's got interviews with Dan Kitchen and a bunch of other people. You know, it's really cool. I mean, it's gorgeous book. I didn't really want to order it. I didn't. I don't know why I didn't want it, but I, I don't know why I didn't because it's it's just beautiful. I think it's great that there's 7800 games in there though, um, too. Cool. The one thing missing, though, is the Supercharger. And I don't understand why it's not in there. Was the Supercharger released in the UK? I don't know. I, I My guess is that it should have been because, you know, the whole industry around cassette tape games there, them being the budget titles and stuff on cassette, I tend to think that it didn't show up there because a lot of people from the UK don't know about it. Maybe that's just a misnomer. Maybe if anyone anyone listen to this podcast from the uk they can tell us whether the supercharger came out in the uk or not or whether people even knew what it was i'm guessing that's going to be a request met with crickets but i'm just you know i'm um, well, putting it out no one, since no one's listening then that's i guess that's exactly correct exactly. um I purchased this other book too, Steve, that you put up today on Twitter. <clears throat> so I, yeah, this came today on Twitter. Actually, this came out in January, but I had no idea what it was. It's a book called Imagine That, the story of one of the first African-Americans to work in the design of video games and personal computers. I'm like, this looks fantastic. I bought it instantly. By the way, I'm reading the blurb here. The inspirational story of Ed Smith, an African-American who grew up in the slums of Brownsville, Brooklyn, to become one of the first of his race to work in the design of video games and personal computers in the 70s. Learn how Ed became part of the engineering team that developed the MP1000 video game and the Imagination Machine personal computer. Discover how Ed came of age while growing up in Brownsville during the 60s, his resilience enduring the crime and drug-ravaged neighborhood of his youth, culminating in his unexpected journey through computer technology. Sounds fucking fantastic. Sounds good. I can't wait. Cannot wait. Good. Not the minor, I, uh, I I ordered that right away after I saw your link today. So. Yeah, I didn't see any reviews or stuff, so I plan to to read it instantly and write a review 
and get it into the podcast and get it up on um on youtube as well because that's the type of thing that we need to we want more of we want more autobiographies from people who early people who worked in the industry and have interesting stories and that's definitely one of them so i can't well wait. the picture had a bunch of atari stuff on his wall I, I think i think the picture is from a trade show where they were next to atari oh. <laughs> that's what i think it doesn't matter though it just was cool yeah it's great it's great you, you know what the uh, intellivision amico has steve Okay, apparently the television Amico is going to have some Atari games. Apparently they licensed Missile Command, Pong, Breakout, and possibly Centipede and Tempest. They've got 12 licenses in all of some of Atari's you know, best, most well-known games, and they're making new versions of them. And from what I've seen, they look good. They're, they're the types of things you would kind of want Atari to make for the VCS, which comes up later in this news. But Atari's not doing that. Having really cool new versions of Atari licensed games on the Amico is, is pretty awesome. Yeah, that's where I would play them. I mean, I'm not sure why Atari wouldn't have them on the VCS. Maybe they would, but it's just, I don't know. The, what, however they're pegging this VCS, it doesn't seem to be just anything that is striking me as something I have to have yet. No, and I, I, the, I'm so debating the Amico because I, I don't want another console, but everything I hear about it, everything I hear about Tommy and the people working on it makes me want to get one. Like, it feels like this is one that's funded correctly and coming from the right place. And they're actually putting the time and effort in engineering behind it to do it right. And so all I can say is, you know, it, it really, it, the fact that they've taken Atari games and, and they and realize, you know, Atari and Intellivision and back in the day were, were arch rivals. But the fact that they're like, no, 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 this is a family console that salutes all of the retro games of the past. And that's fantastic. And I feel included. I feel included is what I'm trying to say. I feel included as an Atari fan, and I just can't part with the money yet. Well, what about this other console, Steve, the Sega console? What's up well, with that? I don't know. There's some, okay, there's some announcement that's supposed to come June 4th. It might be pushed back now because of all the other news that's going on. Um, that's not a bad thing. We should push back news so that other news can come on. It doesn't matter because then people were upset that, like, Microsoft had pushed back its Xbox announcement. I mean, who cares, okay? But if it does come this week, maybe it'll be a nice bit of news to take our mind off other things. Sega has the announcement this week. Some people think Sega is gonna announce a new console. I think that's stupid. I don't think they're gonna, I think they're gonna announce something else. But it's interesting that Sega has a big announcement and people are getting very excited about it and think it's Sega announcing some type of console. I hope it is. I mean, hope it's not maybe not a console, but it'd be cool to have them announce something. That was every every time I see them do something, it is um, another version of Sonic for a machine for a a, a a new machine. I'd rather have them do something else. Don't you think? You know what I'd like to see? So they put out those Sega game packs for the. PS4 and the Xbox, and they put out the, the little Sega console, which is actually really good. What I'd like to see is one of those, but do it somewhat like the Evercade has, where they've gone and found out other games that weren't first-party games, 
to put on the console. Like, what about, I would be fascinated to see every EA game that came out on the Genesis. Even if they're, they're sports games that they have four or five versions of. Like, it'd be cool to kind of see how it changed over the years. Like, I would love even EA to put that out if they could. To put out something like that where we can see what their games are. But especially when it comes to EA, I want all the Desert Strike games Desert Strike and Nuclear Strike and Jungle Strike and all those helicopter games. Those were awesome. I have some of the cartridges, but I, you know, it's kind of a pain in the butt to play them. So, well, the one company that is doing that, it's not doing it exactly the way we, we'd want to, is Retrobit is doing that for the Super Nintendo. So they're putting out actual cartridges for the for the play on the old Super Nintendo or the. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've seen those. That's cool. They, They've done it for the NES also, and I'm looking for both of them. On. I have my Super Nintendo one right here, but I can't find my NES one. Anyway, I have a couple of different ones, and they look, they're look they neat. So it would be great for them to more, for more of those to come out. Uh, and, and if they could do that for Sega, could put some out. Why not? Put put out a, a cartridge, a multi-card. There was a, a Sega cartridge that came out back then that was called the Six Pack. It had Golden Axe, Columns, Streets of Rage, Sonic the Hedgehog, Revenge of Shinobi, and Super Hang On. Six incredible games. I have that it boxed. But if they just put that out again for the Sega Genesis, when they're packaged up this Genesis as new cartridges you could buy and play, people would buy them. Anyway, um, what, what's next on our list, Steve? Uh, the Jaguar game drive. So I don't know much about this. I just know that people were asking about it. Apparently it's still coming, which is, it's basically an SD cart drive that can play CD ISO images as well as Jaguar ROMs. It looks really good. I don't, and you have the Jaguar. Um, I, I have a Jaguar much... and I definitely would um, get one of these. I think I actually tried to buy one last year and then they canceled the ordering. I'm interested. The one thing I like is all the Jaguar games that they're putting out that are actually Atari ST, you know, games that are remade for the Jaguar because it could be a fun way to play some of those ST games. They are actually, you know what, um, when they code these, they're not, uh, I heard that they were just simply porting them. But when I watched the, the videos of the games, they sound much better. So they're not just directly porting. Some of them might basically be direct ports. But some of them, they sound much better. And the and the Jaguar actually was a, a faster, uh, had a faster core processor speed. So everything can run a little faster anyway. I wonder if, you know, the, the DSP chip on the Jaguar has more MIDI instruments or something to make some of those things sound better. So I'm sure they're not just re-recording the WAV like files um, sampled music. I, I would suspect that maybe the, the music data can be played on through the Jaguar hardware just better. It just makes it sound better. So maybe in S, maybe they're taking in some ways are taking the Amiga sound files and putting them onto the Jaguar and playing them. I don't know. We have to. It'd be great to find someone who's who's programming these and get an interview with them and find out. Yeah. So okay. So there you go. There's another request. Uh, first request. Anyone from the UK that can tell us whether the Supercharger came out, please contact us and tell us. And anyone who might be working translating SD games. To the Jaguar, we'd love to talk to you about how you're doing it. That would be really interesting, actually. Um, I'm sure we could find someone on Atari Age. It's just I don't like cold, like emailing people. Yeah, um, at I all. tried that with um, with Paul Lay, who from uh -huh. and he's a very nice guy. 
And I said, yeah. I'd like to do an interview because you've done this great stuff and you, you're, you were working on Galaga for the Atari Bits. And he said, you know what, I'm, I'm just not interested in doing any more bit work right now. And he, already, he said, I did an interview for um, XL Magazine that would have everything in it. And I'm all, okay, you know, I think he's just, he's just busy. And he he's, has a lot of stuff in the works. He, he's a really good programmer. He made a bunch of games for the ST and the 8-bits back for magazines back in the in the 80s. And I was thinking, well, yeah, you're you're a professional programmer, but yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Anyway, it's okay though. I mean, you know, so you know, you get turned down, you know, that's okay. Oh my god, no turned big down. Deal. I mean, he, actually, I, he said he made all of the tools for his games in Flash because he had looked and saw that we had written a Flash book. Oh, that's funny. That's cool. You know, um, uh, I, I put up a few interview feelers that have gone, you know, rejected as well. And it's, it's no big deal. We just kind of move on and change what we're doing. And um, You're still programming your 7800 games, Steve. And I know that you've been trying to do some sound. And what is this wave to Tia or sound okay. to Tia that you found? So this is Revenge. Who, uh, was, his name is, is Michael Sarna. Uh, I believe it's Michael Sarna. Uh, he might not want people to know that. I have no idea. Uh, I may be wrong about that too. Created this tool called uh, Sound to Tia. It used to be called Wave to Tia. And it'll take uh, Wave, OGG, or FLAC files, and it will turn them into Tia sound data for 7800 Basic and Atari Basic and 6502 Assembly. So how it works is, is you find a sound and you basically there's a command line tool that you use to do a conversion and it'll convert it to data most of the time if you don't do it right it doesn't sound great what he told me you use it for and what i've had some success doing is you get some sounds and you do an export you might find some cool bits in the data that then you can pull out and use but what i did do i did have some success using sfxer which is an open source tool for creating sounds for game like old video game sounds for games it creates wave files the option on sfx for square wave if you use that you have a pretty good chance of creating some stuff that sounds fairly close not exact but fairly close so like laser sounds i got about four or five great laser sounds exporting them out of sfx and then converting them with sound to tia and then and loading them up into my game 7800 game and playing them well that's cool though yeah, I mean, working on some coding is uh, a big deal. I've not been doing any coding on the um, STE, or the, I mean the ST with STOS at the moment. I, I started, and I have a demo I was working on. What I want to do is get a demo up of the maximum number of asteroids that I can put on the screen and make them move using... That's cool. One, I'm, one first, <laughs> you, what you do is you, 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 you pre-shift all the graphics to use more memory, but... That means you're not stuck on these weird 16 pixel barriers. And the system had to do a lot of work in interrupts to move things, translate them over from these 16 uh, pixel barriers. So every 16 pixels, you could have the X coordinate in the C system software, but you'd have to translate them over if you with math if you wanted to get them to be not on 16 pixels. The um, pre-shifted shifts all of your sprites to those starting at those 16 pixel barriers so it puts transparent um before it and then moves it over four pixels you could be at you could be at 20 instead of 16 if you have the first four are transparent and then the next 16 are your sprite so they anyway i'm working on that and then trying to combine that with blit with the blitter chip to see if it works at all together but it is incredibly complicated and what i'm trying to find is 
some information in these magazines that I'm going through, all the Atari ST and 8-bit magazines, I'm trying to find some information on them to know how to do it. So it's cool. taking a while. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see some ST stuff from you. Atari box, VCS. So apparently today, Atari said that units will actually ship to people in a couple of weeks. So this is the Atari box. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's cool. I mean, people say that it's a fairly decent PC, you know, for running Linux on it. I just don't understand why that would be your goal. <laughs> I don't understand. I, I get it's got a, it's got an OS that runs the the Atari the games that are on a, a uh, Atari Vault and I think the 150 games on Atari Vault, which is cool. There's nothing wrong with that. That's that's a good set of games. I mean, they none of it feels new. I mean, it all feels very very steeped in nostalgia without any like new turn like why aren't the games that are on the amico going to be there you know the reimaginings seem like they would be cool but anyway whatever what i found funny was that on atari age people were talking about this raspberry pi a company called inland micro center has a license they licensed atari vault and they made a they made a raspberry pi atari vault version comes with the gamepad it comes with the the, the 100 game uh license for atari vault it actually is the weird thing where it doesn't come on the sd card you get like a license on the sd card and you have to download everything afterwards or whatever but hmm. or you can just buy the sd card for your raspberry pi for 24.99 but the point is is like it's a raspberry pi plus a plus a controller plus atari vault is <laughs> literally what people think atari box is for one third of the prices <laughs> and it's licensed by Atari, so it's like, I, like, well, how weird that like you're sort of giving out what is essentially the same thing. You know, obviously it's a Raspberry Pi, so it's not the hardware that's in the in the uh, Atari box or whatever you want to call it. But but it just seems like an odd strategy. The Raspberry Pi Three sounds like it's incredible. But let me tell you no, one the thing: four. You mean the four? I mean the four. I'm sorry, I have I have a three. I mean, the three is incredible, the f but it cannot run Jaguar games. Not with the emulators I have. Four sounds incredible. One thing I want to note is I am fully into buying $24.99 SD cards that will auto-boot into my Raspberry Pi and play whatever games people want to put on them, like retro games and stuff. That would be awesome. Like if somebody wanted to put out a Lynx one with optimized Lynx games comes up, I just want to put out a Jaguar one, like Atari. So I see what you're saying. You, you would, So in this, in this environment, what you're describing is, I got my Raspberry Pi. It's in a little box that looks like an Atari 800. Um, I've hooked in my USB, you know, Wiko joystick. And right. I, I buy these little cartridges, which are SD cards. That it just sticks in and boots up and boots up, uh, you know, whatever uh, boots up a, 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 an image of an OS. That it has... uses micro SD cards. You got to be really, yeah. really careful hey, with I them. Mean, but still, it's not, it's not a perfect system. But it's it's fairly straightforward. It's like here's your SD card with all the all the um, midway games on it. Here's your SD card. It's sort of like whatever Evercade is doing. It um, is. That's what I'm saying. It's like an Evercade, but it's like you anybody with Raspberry Pi, you could drop it in. It it, it doesn't matter what os is on there because it's all on the card i kind of so like you, the idea you that put it, it in the, and like it just auto boots into your thing and you're done you got a library of you come can come with 
posters and instructions and all kinds of stuff that makes people want to buy it. And it's, that'd be awesome. Like Sega, like Nintendo, like I mean, Nintendo won't do it. But I mean, if they want to sell this stuff, this is something to do. Like, give me one that work. Give me an Amiga one that works easy. What if it's not it. an even an SD card? What if because you've got you've got a bunch of USB ports on that um, Raspberry Pi? What if it simply is a thumb drive you stick in that auto boots into whatever you want? I think that would be a special version of the Raspberry Pi OS that you would need for that at that point. You because... mean I think you could set something to auto boot. I you have to check it out. I think Linux has a way that you can auto boot off a. I'm sure you could. Thumb drive. I'm sure you could. I'm just saying, like, you're right. It's better for it not to be a um, a mini SD card. It's but, only because it's kind of a pain in the butt. Well, how about this? How about this? You can buy a, a little mini SD card thing that you put into your Raspberry Pi, and it makes it a converter, so it uses regular size SD cards. It, it costs you $12, <laughs> and it, the first one comes with the Atari Vault, and you drop it in, because of twelve dollars, too much. I think the easiest game. the easiest thing is just you sell the mini SD cards and that's yeah. and that's anyway. Really I'm just saying like the worst. There are ways around all these problems. Okay. Anyway, that's kind of neat. But anyway, no one's doing it yet. But that makes the Evercade cool. It's just the Evercade is handheld. I'm really like I really am not into handheld games. So that's my thing. Yeah. Well, I think Evercade can actually go onto the TV it too. Can. But still, you, what? It can. You're right. <laughs> So let's talk about some podcasts. So I discovered uh, Atari Archive, uh, which is a fantastic set of videos on YouTube. The new one is for 3D Tic-Tac-Toe, but they're really in-depth histories of VCS games. I mean, like lots of 70s VCS games. Um, I suggest anyone who hasn't seen them to run out right now if you got a half an hour or 45 minutes and watch one of them. If you want to know anything about 70s VCS games, these videos are great. So um, you can, yeah, yeah, I would, I would, I mean, 3D Tic-Tac-Toe sounds, sounds like it's boring, but I mean, it's not, first of all. And it's, it's really interesting and the videos are great. So yeah, I've watched that first one. It's awesome. The guy who makes those videos, he does an incredible job. What's the new so, Antic interview? So Kay interviewed Fandel, who is the guy who runs Fandel.com. It's not Fandel.com. It used to be something like that. But he searched on Atari Fandel and it will come up. Um, he, he runs a site called a8.fandel.cz. Used to be Atari something and then Atari like sued him. Anyway, Kevin has a great interview with him. And the funniest thing about the interview is this. The guy is an amazing programmer, but he calls himself a hack at programming. I mean, it's <laughs> Anyway, he makes some great games. Right now on his site, which just got updated yesterday, uh, he has a, some brand new games for the Atari 8-bit that are out there. Uh, Breakout 2012, Laser Mania 2020, a new Montezuma game, Virus Invaders, and Worm 256. He really, really, really scours for homebrew games for the Atari 8-bit computer. And he has a good game database that without as much information that Atari Mania has, but he has a, every is almost a, a way to download almost every game for the Atari in his database also. But he's got some great new games up there. Originally, I went there yesterday when I first tried to um, get some information about new stuff on Atari. I didn't see it so low, down lower in, in our podcast. I was going to mention the websites, but I just go into Fandel now. He has all kinds of great new stuff up here, new, brand new games. This is a cool. perfect place for any Atari fan to go. 
Well, a um, couple other podcasts. Uh, the Retro Hour, which is a great retro gaming podcast from the UK. It seems to be one of the premier ones doing really well. They, a few episodes ago, they had a really in-depth interview with Al Alcorn, which is oh, great wow. for Atari fans. The latest one was RJ Michael, uh, who worked on the Lynx and the Amiga and 3DO. And it's really good. To, it's actually one of the best I've heard. So I'd run out right now and listen to RJ Michael. I mean, if you're even listening to podcasts, that is, which you should be. Yeah, I and wish, then, I, I wish <clears throat> yeah, I wish more people would listen to podcasts right now. Me too. And then Gen X Grownups, which I really like. They always have interesting stuff. Uh, they had a couple recent episodes where they talked about Pong Quest, Missile Command Recharged, and a really good one on Choose Your Own Adventure books. So those guys are great. And what about the Ted Dabney? Oh, so the Ted Dabney Experience is a new podcast from the UK about arcade games. Um, they've had three episodes so far, and the latest one is with Jamie Fenton, the designer of Gorf. And it's enthralling great episodes all around okay so i found um of the video on a site called pez p-e-z-z 82 he has a really funny guide to um setting up your st on um, and playing it on uh, a mr one of the hardware mr devices but he, um, oh yeah, Mister, which is an FPGA. His whole beginning thing is all about how, like, about uh, ST users having Amiga Envy, and the ST was the Shelbyville to the Amiga, which is really funny because it wasn't. But um, here in the U.S., it certainly wasn't because we didn't even know the Amiga existed. The ST was so far ahead of everything else that was out there. So at the time, like in the NES, PC games, Mac games. I mean, the SC kicked everything's ass when you're here. In fact, it did that in the UK also. It just happened to be a couple of years later that the Amiga kicked its ass hardware-wise. Why did it kick its ass hardware-wise? Because Jay Miner designed the machine. Anyway, still an Atari machine to me. That's one thing. So I went to the 8-bit chip site to look for the latest five games that he's adapted to use on hard drives and for um, emulated hard drives. It, they were great. First one is Alcon. It was It's a scrolling shooter game, a little bit like Foundation's Waste. Wormhole, which is a little bit like Xenon if you're a marble and you can shoot. Telemark Warrior. It's sort of a poor man's Contra. Not a very good game, but it's, you know, in the t it's in the last five. A game called Techno Balls, P-A-L-L-Z, which is an Arkanoid-style game, which is pretty well done. And Boomtris, which is sort of a take on Tetris with explosions. So anyway, that's the last five games that 8-Bit Chip on 8BitChip.com has adapted for hard drives to be run on ST, STEs, and emulators. I went to OldSchoolGamer.com, and I took a look at the latest articles that have to do with the 8-bit. Mm -hmm. Bill Lang has a really good one on Scott Adams. And then I found another one did a closer look at the XE game system. So I encourage everyone to go to oldschoolgamer.com for Atari fans. Take a look, subscribe. You can actually get a print version if you want. Um, it's a cool magazine. I just saw Retro Magazine, which is another you know, magazine's been going on for a while. Uh, I saw something about their May 2020 issue. It's really well done. They have a, a debate or an article about the best version of BASIC, an article called Don't Buy Vectrex, which is really an in-depth article about don't buy Vectrex because the guy who wrote it 
wants Hustling. wants his own vector yeah. but it's it's just great um interview about the ultimate 64 just c64 expansion atari 800 versus a z spectrum chess and an article on 800 kept on beating it <laughs> an article about the about the game the pawn you know um just just it's really really good like you know i wish i had more time to read this type of stuff but uh retro magazine is another great one <laughs> So I go to Saberman all the time. Saberman has a it's, a, it's a channel that's on YouTube. On the Indie Retro News, they pointed to the latest Saberman video that's of Prince of Persia for the 8-bits, and it's a seven-level demo that he goes through. It uh-huh. looks incredible. On VintageIsTheNewOld.com, they have an Atari section. There's a new Atari 800 Mac X emulator. There's also this incredible new Atari XLXE action puzzle game called Adam is Me. It's 64 levels. It's utterly fantastic. It's like an XE version of Chip's Challenge that we never got. I went through the Atari Age forums a bit looking for news on the other systems that aren't computers. 2600, Joe M. I can't really pronounce his last name, but it's M-A-S-A-S-H-I. So Masashi has a DPC plus version of Zaxxon running and there's a video and it looks like Zaxxon from the arcade running on a, a monitor with, with too many old scan lines. So you have to see it to believe what it looks like, but it's basically Zaxxon running on the Atari 2600. It, it's, it's That's fantastic. It, it's a little, you know, I mean, it doesn't have the highest resolution in the world, but you'll have to see it. Um, that is on. There's a. We'll have a link in the show notes to all this stuff, and that is on YouTube and on the Atari Age forums. There's a brand new game for the Atari 5200, called by Ryan Whitmer. It's called Magical Fairy. He has a bunch of videos on how he's making it, which he describes the different features he's putting in. It's sort of. A, I'm gonna say it's almost like a two-player version of Kaboom. One one fairy at the top, one at the bottom. They're like firing missiles at missiles at each other. It could be like Archon and Kaboom combined. So I'll, I'll get a uh, a link there so people can look at the video in the show notes. I'll get a link there so people can look at the video in the show notes. And I'm hoping someone can explain to me exactly what's going on with it. But I wanted to make an 8-bit version too. There's a the latest 7800 game that I could find that is called Million Molly. It's a retro theme puzzle game with 100 levels over five themed worlds. It's a conversion of a Commodore 64 game, and Zero Page Homebrew has a video up with that in the links also. It was, oh, they nice. did it as like a Zero Page Homebrew exclusive. And it looks really it looks really good too. It doesn't look as good as Ricky and Vicky, but it looks really good. Couple new games by Songbird for the links. A game called Biniax 2. Looks like a high quality phone game you get on your phone, like a matching style game. And Zump, which is a really cool looking like puzzle platformer. Now onto what we talked about before, which was the Jaguar ST converted games. One of the latest ones is one of my favorite games by Sega, which is Alien Syndrome. Oh yeah, I love only, that game. Which is pretty good on the ST, but the Jag one looked really good. And so um, there's a video of that up too. I found it on YouTube. And then I went over to AtariLegend.com and I found uh, an interview with a guy named David Wolski who's making a game for the Amiga and the ST and other machines called 
Verge World Icarus, and he has a demo up right now, and it looks fantastic. It's like a 3D shooter. You're flying through caverns. It almost looks a little bit like an ST slash Amiga version of Rescue on Fractalus with much more shooting. Don't you mean behind Jagai Lines? I mean behind no, it's called Rescue on Fractalus. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're right. Behind Jagai that's the that's the uh, the version that made uh made Lucasfilm pissed off. Yes, exactly. They, they sold the games to Epics to sell, but then Atari Crypt, which is another fantastic website. Um, for Atari ST users. He has a new feature on a game called Line of Fire for the ST. And he doesn't just do a video. He does like a video and images and plays the game and gives tips. Um, it's not the greatest game in the world. It's like a first-person shooter, like a like, almost like a Sega sprite scaling first-person shooter. Where Is that one of those Titus games? It, okay, it's better than Titus, for sure. Okay. It's like a Titus game, but better. But actually, I liked it. It's kind of like you're... Um, it's almost like a... Like a Operation Wolf style game to me. Oh, okay. It's like a rail shooter a little bit, but it looked pretty neat. And uh, let's talk about what's new on Into the Vertical Blank, Steve. Well, Jeff, new on Into the Vertical Blank, if you haven't seen already, is intoverticalblank.com is our new website. And let's just say we have about 43 episodes of a podcast called Into the Vertical Blank. Um, we have, a, I got a new feature on my Atari VCS game called uh, Brick Basher, unfinished Atari VCS game, uh, under the game section. So so then there's this ST log feature about uh, Dun- Dungeon Master. What's that? Okay, so I've been going through all of the USA magazines and cutting out, which is really intricate because whoever laid out these magazines was insane. <laughs> but I'm cutting out all of the all of the reviews and interviews and strategy guys. Anything to do with games, really, or individual games, so I can make a database or posts about these games and put them up. Also, get them to Atari Mania because they want these things. Some of the inter, the reviews, and I also want to do features out of some of them. And this one I did send to Atari Mania, and I sent to uh, a, I added a link over at AtariLegend.com. To it's a three issue run each one about three or four pages on on strategy for Dungeon Master, and it's incredible. So I I'm think finding, I actually read this back in the day. I, I'm finding so many gems on these, and I found just some great stuff today, too. And what I also found is if you combine together all these programming tutorials that they didn't do, if you get these Best of Antic books, they don't have them all in there. I have one best of antique book. I couldn't find any best of, of an- analog or anything like that. But they have these great programming tutorials that if you put them all together into like sort of a PDF book form and people could learn how to program an assembly language and make a game on the Atari. Oh, that's awesome. There's also some incredible other like articles. And there's one guy named Steve Panic who I swear hates games. And he <laughs> reviews all of the games. <laughs> He doesn't hate games really, but he he doesn't like action games. Like you'll see, like he gives a lot of leeway towards like these Avalon Hill like war games. Um, and one of the first times he was reviewing games, and I have some of these, and they're hilarious. It's like he doesn't know who Activision is, who made the incredible games for the eight bit for the for the for the VCS. So he's been seeing only these sort of what he's seen so far, these sort of crappy 
Activision released titles like Ghostbusters that he didn't like. He's all, I thought Activision made crappy games. And then he found like a good one. He's all, wow, some good games from this crappy company. It was hilarious. It's like, they, and like, so later on for like, there's this run in the middle of Analog Magazine and ST-Log where Electronic Games had shut down and everyone else is kind of thrown out of the water and Cats, Kunkel, and Whirly take over all the video game reviews. And it's awesome. And well, then, I, so I want to go back and talk about what you just said really quick, because if you only know Activision from the games they released in the Atari 8-bit, I, I think that's a that's a fine perspective. You know, River Raid on the Atari 800 is a fine game, but it's not that great compared to other things that are on the system. Well, what could have been done with it, right? Yeah. Yeah, what, what could have been done. Same with, like, Kaboom. That's the one thing they didn't do a very good job of, of taking the core of their game and, like, putting it on to using the best of the platform it was going to be on. They certainly did that for the v- VCS and maybe, maybe the Intellivision. But when it came to the computers, I, those first s- several games they made were not great. Ghostbusters, though, on the 8-bit was fantastic. Yeah, I love Ghostbusters. But anyway, so going through these magazines, is inc- I'm going to be adding lawnmower features like that because of that. That's really um, cool. And more reviews and stuff of games. I do have the database component that I can add to our site and maybe make a database of reviews, but I was thinking of more do them as features on a game. I just do them as features. I think that's fine. As I find a game I want to do, find all the reviews about that game, compare and contrast them. Make a feature about it. Kind of the way, you know, that's that's how that Pac-Man story started. You know, how we even started this whole season about uh, Atari's biggest mistake. Started with me looking at the Pac-Man review in electronic games are going you know what i wonder what other reviews thought of pac-man and finding that that was the first one and that everyone seemed to follow and actually use their viewpoints as the point of the game and i think it's i think that is an interesting thing there's lots of databases out there there's lots of places for people to find stuff i think commentary and interesting autobiography and interesting interviews and interesting stories and stuff is is a better use of your time so i would yeah i'm gonna take the bulk of the reviews and i'm gonna that aren't on atari mania and i'm gonna i'm sending them i'm putting them on the atari mania um ftp site but what i'm gonna do for things that i cut out is try to get like a story that goes on a story but if there's any story of it but find maybe maybe there's a for something Maybe there's maybe you can find steve panic and ask him what he really thought of those games i mean that's that's funny to me exactly that's interesting you know, if, if he's still around and still wants to talk about it and say, yeah, I thought the games were crappy. That would be hilarious. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, he was um, his reviews are hilarious, though. Too. I bet. So not I bet just, they're great. Yeah. And then later you know, on, I once I once did an interview with a guy named Michael Schrage. I found I was reading. I, I got um, an online database of Rolling Stone articles. And I noticed that the one guy who reviewed video games in Rolling Stone was this guy named Mike, Michael Srage, who went on, I don't know, to work for, you know, he, he became a, a pretty serious journalist. And so I said, I, I emailed him, I found him, this is like 20 years ago. And I emailed him to talk to him about, you know, him being the first mainstream game journalist, because he kind of was, because he kind of came before many of the other people. And he was in a mainstream publication. And and the interviews on our site, and it's fairly interesting. He he was an interesting guy. He had some interesting stories about uh, what he thought about Atari, about what happened at Atari. And, Sounds like an episode, um, Steve. Yeah, he, you know, um, at the time, back then, he was, he kind of got mad at me that the interview when it was printed was not done like there were some spelling mistakes in it and stuff and, and you know I get, a guy like that used to 
you know, very professional press. When our editorial, you know, 20 years ago, it was like a dude sticking something up on a website. I think right, the whole right. web, the whole idea of webs and blogs kind of annoyed him because it <laughs> took away from, from his livelihood. I mean, I get it, right? And at the time, I, I should have been more careful about what I was doing. But I, but I, and by the way, I got that same thing from Arnie Katz, too, when I interviewed Arnie Katz. The same sort of like him being kind of upset that it took a long time for me to get the interview posted because I had to transcribe it. And it took me like months to transcribe it because it was a really long, in depth interview. And he got really mad at me about it. It actually also happens to be the last interview that I can find that he ever did. So I, it, there's a lot of these old school guys. Do when you have the audio that started. We can put up? I do have the audio. A lot of these old school guys, I think, I think struggled with the fact that the new media had hacks like you and I that could go and basically do their do what their job used to be uh, with an email and a Skype phone call. And it, I'm not saying it like we did it as good as they did. I'm saying that like we, it was annoying because we could do it. Right. And but you know, those are my two like I don't like to talk about those things because it kind of makes me sad to think about Michael Strage and. Arnie Katz in that way because I really admired both of them and I felt terrible that in some way I disappointed them with with yeah. what I did. Well, um, don't don't meet your heroes, Steve. I was wondering <laughs> I was wondering what um what Jack, Jeff Green from Computer Gaming World is doing now. That he was hilarious all the time in, in there. Uh, oh, yeah. I subscribed to that magazine from for like twenty five years all the way up until its end. He started sending me some other magazine, and I canceled. But um, it was an incredible magazine, especially went during the PC years. So I also have another interview that worked out, and it's also up on our site with Johnny Wilson, who was the editor of Computer Gaming. World. Oh yeah. So I did that one as well when I was looking for these guys, and really what I was doing at the time. This is like ten years ago, fifteen years ago, looking for little tidbits about Atari information when I interviewed them. That was my goal. Johnny Wilson's a really interesting interview too up on the site. So between Artie Katz and Johnny Wilson and Michael Strays, like they're all very interesting interviews that I felt like didn't come off well for me personally. Like I felt kind of bad about them, but I think the interviews themselves are fascinating. Uh, people can, can they find be them turned on. into episodes up for the podcast? Yeah, they could be turned into episodes. For the I would, I would probably like, I don't know how you, you do it. You know, Michael Strays and Johnny Wilson were text interviews. So I don't know what you well, do. You like, have some, a business wars no, that that is awful I, i'm not exactly sure how we do it but i but i think it would be part of the interview maybe contact johnny wilson maybe contact him i don't know or maybe I mean, you turn, we turn you turn the interviews into a story and you read the story off with the, i think with, that's closer to what it yeah. is so anyway all right well that's a huge long bonus news show for this time i'm not sure when this is even going up or when the next episode is coming. So they'll be there when they come, I guess. Uh, hey, Steve, in the, into mm. the vertical blank. No, no, Jeff, into the vertical blank. No, no, Steve, into the vertical blank. No, it's into the vertical blank. Generation Atari? Okay, cool. And today we leave you with Beyond the Realms of Possibility by the one and only Tony Longworth. Hope you enjoy it.
next frame calculated, prepare to write new data, V blank ending. An 8-Bit Rocket Studios production.